0: This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show.
1: I actually am a vegetarian, so I didn't eat much meat. Wait, I didn't know that. How long have you been a vegetarian? I have been about, uh, for a long time I didn't eat fish, fish. But this is something actually I'm very excited about. I'm a vegetarian for ethical reasons. I actually am not a huge fan of animals. I think they're pretty terrible people. I don't think that they're wonderful, but I do feel they suffer pain. So if I am trying to decrease the amount of pain in the world, an easy way is not to have meat.
0: I had no idea. So what's another easy way to decrease the pain in the world that you do? Well, (laughs) I'm thinking of some weird ones. I want to go two steps back. How do you come up with that initial idea? Like how someone listening to this can start coming up with uh, fun ideas of something that's worth exploring and yet so simple to explain. I try to have everything have a net benefit. That's how I make decisions.
1: Like I've actually, I came up with this just last week, this sort of four quadrant way of making decisions. So when I'm trying to decide my next book project, the four quadrants are my current happiness... My future happiness, because it could be that it's a pain in the ass to write the book, but that it'll lead to great things. That's two quadrants. And then on the other side is the world's happiness and the world's future happiness. It's all about delayed gratification.
0: I am so excited for this sponsor, Indochino. Before Indochino... I only had three outfits, and many of you know the reason. I threw out all of my belongings, but finally, I got rid of one and replaced it with a suit from Indochino because, believe it or not, they made me fall in love with the feeling of wearing a made-to-measure suit. Indochino is making it really easy for you to get a perfectly tailored suit at an incredible price. Visit a showroom or shop online at indochino.com. Pick your fabric choose your customizations, submit your measurements. And this week, my listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $379 at Indochino.com when entering James at checkout. That's 50% off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code James, for any premium suit for just $379 and... Free shipping. Incredible deal for a suit that will fit you better than anything off the rack ever could. Today's show is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is much more than just another greens product, and I'm going to tell you why. Athletic Greens is the most complete supplement available with 75 ingredients working together to help with 11 different areas of health. I take it every morning because health is the only requirement for real success. Think about how much support your body really needs to keep you going. Sleep, fruits, vegetables, and probably a thousand other nutrients. You need prebiotics, probiotics for digestion, and your body needs adaptogens, and you need stress and hormone support. Really, health is difficult, and it's not something you want to take for granted or do alone. So if you're like me and want to have full confidence in your daily health regime, then you really should try Athletic Greens today. So I've asked Athletic Greens for a special deal for my listeners. You can receive 30% off your first purchase. Simply go to athleticgreens.com slash James to claim this special offer. That's athleticgreens.com slash James. Please start your daily routine today. Go to athleticgreens.com slash James and subscribe today. You may, actually, you probably have heard of cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum. I call them choose-yourself currencies because they don't depend on any institutions to function, and they're simply exploding in price right now. Some have jumped as high as 3,000%, 21,000%, and even a rare 81,000%. If you're missing out on this boom, don't worry. You're not alone. Most people are not investing in crypto simply because... They don't even know how to get started. So I decided to do something about that. I want to help listeners like you get started in this booming market. So I'm offering a free six video series masterclass on cryptocurrencies, all for free. I'll walk you step-by-step through the entire process. If you're interested in claiming this free masterclass, please go to altature.io. That's altature.io slash masterclass, where you'll find all of the details. So I'm here with my good friend and good friend of the podcast, AJ Jacobs. Welcome, AJ. Great to be back. And AJ... There's like two main things going on in your life which we'll talk about a little bit but we're also going to kind of kick off a mini series which I'll describe in a second. We've already done episode 0. This is episode 1. Um but first off, I'm holding in here the advanced uncorrected proof of your next book. It's all relative adventures up and down the world's family tree and it's about how you've basically connected genealogically the entire world. You you, you th- I was at it. You threw the Guinness Book of World Records, world's largest family reunion, and you were a
1: speaker. I was a speaker. Very honored, yes. And
0: Doctor Oz was a speaker. My cousin Doctor Oz, your
1: cousin, and, Dr. Oz. and Sister Sledge uh, came and sang. We are family.
0: Rest I, in I peace. have a photo. I was standing right behind Sister Sledge on the stage while she was singing. It was it was the pride and joy of my life. Uh, <laughs> I loved your voice better than that. They- I wanted to tune them out and just listen to you. I was harmonizing with them, and I know I rose above the crowd, you exactly. know, just because of my beautiful singing voice. And the other thing going on in your life, which I'm really excited about for you, and 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 I say this with a lot of sincerity. Like, I think sometimes people say that, they don't mean it, but I am super excited to about your the 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 shooting of your TV pilot for uh, the Year of Living Biblically. They're making that into a TV series. They are. It's gonna be on CBS in the winter. In what, the, what a great idea for a TV show. Like, do you get involved in like the script writing or anything? Do you hang out in the writer's no, room? It's very interesting.
1: I I mean, I basically I sold them the rights, and then I, I am allowed to come. I can enjoy the craft services, the yogurts, and what have you. But and I've offered to give them ideas, but but they are. I think a lot of TV writers—they're just like, let me do
0: my own thing. Well, they're experts at it. Like you're an expert writer, obviously. You've written right. all these New York Times best-selling books, and you're 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 a very Mark Twain-style humorist, kind of this very—I—I I, I don't know—I always think of you as a humorist, like well, this very, very kind. American Mark Twain-style just humor. Like you—you you challenge yourself. I like that title, humorist. Yeah, you're you're funny. Your writing's funny, but. TV script writing, those guys, it's a different craft and oh, they're yeah. good at it. Agree.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm happy. I basically I feel like I grew a potato. I'm giving them the potato. They can make French fries, they can make mashed potatoes. It may be terrible. They'll make like, you know, mix in peanut butter and sardines. It could suck. But uh I'm 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 enjoying it from afar. It's a very much a lesson in releasing, zen releasing. Like you you go do what you
0: want. Here's what I've done and uh well I want to I want to actually talk about that cuz that's related to everything we're going to talk about. The idea of this mini series, I just want to kind of lay the groundwork and then we'll just start talking about anything. But we're each going to come up with a challenge for the other, come back a week later, describe whether we succeeded or failed at the challenge and why and what we learned and so on, and then challenge each other to the next thing. And the idea is is that challenges help us get out of our comfort zone, we learn from them, it makes our lives better. Uh, And there's lots of reasons to kind of do all these things. But it strikes me that you have lived kind of this dream life with this dream job, and I'll describe what I mean. I mean, most people can't do this. Like your entire career, you've come up with ideas that have been on the intersection of what you were curious about with what also took you out of your comfort zone so you then you did them to kind of get out of your comfort zone and satisfy your curiosity. And then you wrote about it in this funny way. And it's blossomed into this amazing career of articles, best-selling books. I mean, I see your books. I see all of your books in every single <laughs> airport bookstore. It's amazing. Now a potential TV show, you give talks, you do podcasts. It's really created this entire umbrella Again, at this intersection between discomfort and curiosity, that
1: is true. I kind of like to embrace the discomfort. A friend of mine called "fun comfortable" is a friend of mine. I love that. Yeah, uncomfortable, fun, comfortable. Fun comfortable. I, that I was just watching. Uh,
0: is this wait? Is this copy mine? Because I'm going to write that word down. Yeah, please deface okay. it all you want. I'm Cross things them. out. Hey, am I in the acknowledgments? Of, of this course,
1: book? you are huge in the acknowledgments. Um, in fact, that was one of my. One of my marketing ideas was since everyone's a family, if I could do like six hundred pages of acknowledgments in ten point font and thank every every member of my family, hundreds of thousands. And then they'd all have to buy the book. So wait, I'm gonna
0: find my name. Hold all right.
1: On. It should be in the acknowledgments. I think I mentioned you twice in the acknowledgments. I'm trying to like, you know, because I'm
0: your cousin. Make it twice? look longer.
1: Yeah. We well, are definitely, you know, I had I list all the people who spoke at the global family reunion. So, um,
0: all right, well, I, I'll find it later. i see right. I see a lot of good names here. So,
1: well, that's I tried to go for break the world record for the longest acknowledgments. So did, is there a world record for that? I looked it up, and there isn't, so I'm gonna establish one.
0: Oh man, So many world records I've been involved in. I feel like I've broken the world record if I'm in one of your world records. <laughs> you like, I'm am. in the Guinness Book of World record. Have
1: you broken any others? What was besides well, the signs? Well, just
0: of being in the, the largest fam, a speaker yeah. at the world's largest family reunion. Hosted by AJ Jacobs.
1: Yeah, but I feel you could break uh, many more. I feel that you have we'll the potential.
0: We'll see. But I mean, like, think about it. Your first book, which now is going to be a TV show, which you've given a billion talks about, and uh, I-, I don't know if it was your first book, but it was kind of the most popular, I would say, or the one that most people will say. It- I'll say, do you know AJ Jacobs? And they're like, oh, it sounds familiar. And he wrote The Year of Living Biblically. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, he's got like the beard on the cover. I really
1: go- think that was the secret to my success is just the beard. If I, if I were not hairy, I would have no career. But luckily, I grew a huge beard. And
0: you had to grow a beard because there's some obscure biblical rule which you can't shave the corners of your beard. Exactly. You
1: are like a biblical scholar. You cannot shave the corners of your beard in Leviticus. And I didn't know where the corners were, so I just let the whole thing grow. And it was huge. It was like, you know, I spent a lot of time at airport security. As I like to say, uh, but the because uh, you were
0: a Jewish terrorist, I
1: was. A, I looked like one for sure. Uh, yeah, people would give me money on the street because they thought I was homeless. So that was another income stream.
0: And then, and then, uh, well, very good income stream. There, yeah, I well, to I did have one. to
1: give it to charity as part of my biblical living,
0: but and anonymously, right.
1: That's true. Although I disagree with that, it's I think a, the
0: biggest mitzvah is to do it uh, anonymously. Yeah,
1: I know. They say don't trumpet your good deeds, but I'm actually I've come around to the other side, and we can talk about that if you want. That bragging about good deeds is a good thing because, like Bill Gates, he's not. It's not like an, the Melinda and Anonymous Foundation. It's the Bill, and like he's right out there, and that inspires other people to give.
0: Well, I think that's a good point, actually. Like, if your name is itself a brand, like, people trust that Bill Gates has done his research and his due diligence. So if he were to do it anonymously, it wouldn't have actually as much worldwide strength as saying this is a Bill Gates donation. Right Now, if I were to say this is a James Altucher donation, people might run the other way and say, (laughs) oh, no, this guy loses his money all the time. I'm not giving the money there.
1: I will follow wherever
0: you (laughs) donate. Yeah. So, So, so... but but the year of living biblically is perfect because you were probably curious. What's does it actually make your life better? Ba- as many people would preach, literally, it would make your life better to live a more biblical life, and so you were probably curious about it, and certainly, as you demonstrate in the book over and over, basically in every chapter, it was definitely outside your comfort zone.
1: Oh, yeah, it was Like, hardest. stoning
0: somebody in Central Park for adultery did not seem like it was in your comfort zone. No,
1: that was hard to do. That was like, yeah, not in my usual... Di- well, it was hard in two different ways, because there were, t- there were rules like, don't gossip, and don't lie, and don't covet... And I'm a journalist, and I live in New York City, so that's my like eighty percent of my day it is coveting. Uh, I love to covet. Um, so that was hard. But then, as you point out, the the ancient rules about stoning adulterers, or not touching women when they're menstruating, or this one, no one follows anymore. Don't touch men for a day after they have uh, emitted their essence.
0: Like really is that so so Onan you know it's is it, right. named after a biblical character named Onan is Onanism right. um so Onan was like a grandson of Jacob and his um I guess his older brother died so he got his older brother's wife and he did not want right. to um, kind of spoil the memory of his older brother so he didn't want to have sex with her so he would spill his seed yeah he would pull say. out he would yeah. pull
1: out you know your bible I've I do impressed. know my bible
0: And um, But when was the rule created of not touching a man um, who— Well, that
1: was very early. It had to do with purity. A lot of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, is very much about purity. And there's a little—we were talking about OCD earlier, a little OCD element to it. So it's like not touching things and touching things, keeping things separate. So very early on— it was you couldn't touch women when they were menstruating, and you cannot touch a man for a day after he ejaculates because then he's impure. So, 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 so it's have, interesting.
0: like let's say I, this I always find this about the the biblical laws is that there there's like two layers of the law. So, um the the real idea is you can't touch a man who maybe has, you know, sperm on him, <laughs> but but uh, a day is kind of like, you you okay? We're safe. At least it's been a day. He's probably bathed in the river or the right. Dead Sea or whatever. Um, and it's just like the the don't drink milk with meat. The real rule is don't drink um, the mother's milk with the meat of the child. But you know you're safe if you just eliminate, that's the real rule. But then they have the second layer, so you know you're safe. Exactly. We just don't drink the milk with any meat. Uh, so then you know you're definitely safe. And I always find there's always that extra layer.
1: Well, yeah, that's what's interesting is they, over the years, that's one of my points about the Bible and religion. It's, it's more like Wikipedia than it is like a, a text. It evolves and they, they're the Bible was written over hundreds of years by dozens of people and and then people have interpreted it in these crazy ways ever since. So as you say the real rule is don't eat a baby goat's mi- a baby goat that's been boiled in its mother's milk. So if I ah. that's my goal was to live strictly by the Bible. So I had to spend a year not boiling a baby goat in its mother's milk. So, so you wouldn't
0: play the extra, like you know you would You were safe if you just simply didn't drink milk with meat. right? Um, but you took it much more literally? I took it literally. So if I
1: needed to, I would have like boiled a baby goat in its grandmother's milk or its aunt's milk or
0: something. You know, you can always <laughs> But then done. you would have milk with meat otherwise? Well, there yeah, there is nothing literally
1: in the Bible that says, I actually am a vegetarian, so I didn't eat much meat.
0: Wait, I didn't know that. How yeah. long have you been a vegetarian?
1: I have been about, uh, for a long time, I didn't eat fish. Um, but this is something, actually, I'm very excited about. I'm a vegetarian for ethical reasons. I actually am not a huge fan of animals. I think they're pretty terrible People like they'll just. I know a lion, if I make the wrong move, will go to my throat. So I'm not deluded. I don't think that they're wonderful, but I do feel they suffer pain. So if I am trying to decrease the amount of pain in the world, an easy way is not to have meat because you know. So, but this is what I'm very excited about. I'm going to write
0: that down. I I had no idea. So, so it's part of this idea of you, you have an overall philosophy let's decrease the pain in the world and. What are there's probably hard ways to do it. Like let's uh, solve, you know, the 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 ice caps melting. That's a difficult way to decrease the pain in the world. Right. Or an easy way. There's probably ten easy ways to decrease the pain in the world, and one of them is simply not eating meat. Yeah, not increasing the demand for, uh, you know, uh, farmed meat. Yeah, it's like just an easy heuristic. And what's another easy way to decrease the pain in the world? um,
1: That you do well, I. uh, I'm thinking of some weird ones, like uh, you know, not man spreading on the subway and not like um, and walking. I notice that people who like take up a lot of room on the sidewalk, like that's fun for them, but you got to think of other people. And uh, so that's part of man
0: spreading, I would say. Yeah,
1: it's like man spreading across the sidewalk. But uh, can I just to tie up the meat thing? I am very excited by, by the prospect of cultured meat this meat they make in a lab where they take a cell from a pig and you grow like like a rib uh, or a hamburger from a cow. And this is closer than people think. Uh, I think i uh, I talked to a guy who's writing a book about it, and we're gonna have these lab grown milk in like a couple of years available wow. to the consumer. And this is great because then I'll have no ethical problem. I'll eat, and it opens up the world. Like you can eat a hamburger from a cow because the cow's not hurt. And you just take a swab of its cheek. But you could also eat giraffe or rhinoceros or, my most exciting idea, ethical Human. camel. Yeah, why not? There's sure. no ethical Well, you problem. know why? We're
0: probably real gamey. Like we um, notice humans, or at least in America, we usually don't eat meat that is... Most of the meat we eat are themselves vegetarians. Interesting. So, so humans are—you would only want to eat if following like Alicia Silverstone.
1: You would only
0: want to eat vegetarian humans, humans. Yes. Well, that is—that's uh, interesting.
1: I didn't think about that. You know what? Well, but but eating it, celebrities, I think, is a big market.
0: I mean, yeah. can you imagine yeah, like clone, clone, stem cells of celebrities? That'd yeah. really, uh, uh, be interesting. So, well, Eric Schmidt, you know, the chairman of uh, Google or, or whatever you call it, Alphabet. He said that the biggest trend is not AI or VR or robotics, but plant-based foods that taste like meat because Mm. just, you know, with 10 billion potential people on the planet, you know, you got to feed them all and, you know, food grown in a laboratory one way or the other is essentially the biggest scientific trend happening right now.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it could be, I mean, it'd be huge. It would change, you know,
0: so, so, so everything, but, but under the category of decreasing, easy ways to decrease that's a good question. Pain. There's not man spreading, there's being a vegetarian. Yeah, let me um, think. What else do I do? Probably not gossiping. Yeah, not gossiping. Well, a certain level of gossiping is, uh, you know, evolutionarily good, uh, but, but, but in a but, positive way, like, like. You're like I could tell you, hey, work with this person because work with this publisher because they're a good publisher to work that's with. Nice, so that's nice, that's like gossip. positive right. gossip. Or I could also say for your benefit, you know what? Here's my experience with this publisher. It's not necessarily positive for me. Take it with it what you will. So there's probably positive, constructive ways to gossip. I like that. So and constructive that was, gossip.
1: So yeah. And I did for my Bible book, I did try to get rid of gossip and it was fascinating because it changed the way I I perceived people. Because if you stop saying lots of negative things about people, which is sort of my go-to, <laughs> it, it definitely it made me more positive. It made me think in more positive ways and look for their good. So it really had an
0: impact. Um, I wish I wish more people would do that. Like I feel, and I don't know if you've had this experience. I feel the more people I know in life, the more people I know who don't do that. <laughs> Because in general, most people don't do that and are just constantly saying negative things, and it's very hurtful. Yeah. Um, particularly, you know, I'm sure as your books became more widely known, you, you maybe you got hate mail along the way, and, and every now and then something hits buttons, and it's and it's painful. I, right. I don't know if you felt that, but... No, no, I've, absolutely. Like, what's yeah. the
1: worst hate mail you've gotten? Oh, I've gotten tons. I went, in my first book, I... I misspelled the name of hockey great Wayne Gretzky. I spelled it with an S instead of a Z. And I thought that Canadians were nice people, but apparently not. You misspell Wayne Gretzky's name, you get like dozens of like, you should die. So that was just one example. But yeah, tons and tons of, I mean, to me, the I do like the idea. Of there, there are 350 million people in America. I always tell my kids this. You're not going to, not all of them are going to love you. Even if you get 10% who like you.
0: That's 35 million people. That's
1: 30, that's a lot of people. And uh, so- Well, it's
0: like like a friend calls me up and he said, I can't find a girlfriend. I just, 90% of the women I meet are just no good for me. And I don't know what's good for him or not, but he's saying 90%. And I'm like, well- that sounds pretty good. That means 700 million people on the planet are probably exactly. good for you. That well, I've cut that in half, so 350 million people.
1: I always like to remind people that the moon landing, when when it was aired, got a 93 share on Nielsen, meaning
0: 7% of people were like,
1: eh, I'd rather watch the Three Stooges. I literally <laughs> think that was
0: what was on opposite. Oh the moon my God, landing. that is such a great stat because I'm thinking 93% oh my God, that's even bigger than like the finale of MASH. But you make a great point. 7% actually t- saw that on TV because there's only three stations then. Right. ABC, NBC, and CBS, and maybe PBS. So, so And and probably the three major ones all had it on. They so, had so, to go searching. So they had to actually go find like some UHF channel or whatever. <laughs> right. And 7% like turned on the channel, saw Neil Armstrong walking on another planet and said, you know what? This is not entertaining enough for me and I am going to switch the channel.
1: Literally the most historic moment in the evolution of humankind, perhaps. And they're like, eh, I'd rather see these guys poke each other in the eye. That's an amazing statistic. So even that, you cannot, you'll never get a hundred percent of people to like you. The moon landing did not get a hundred percent.
0: So, 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 kind of um, always remembering that is a way of decreasing the pain of man. Yeah, because it allows you to a reduce your own suffering and b kind of. It help other people get through suffering or acknowledge that you don't have to be the pain for other people. You don't have to like most people, for instance.
1: Right, and I've got, I mean, of course, I still get hurt a lot, but I've gotten much better at uh, just, you know, my my skin has gotten a lot thicker because I just realized, especially with the internet, it's crazy what people will say because those comments are the ones that are going to rise to the top, the ones that, you know, people will make fun of uh, my orthodonture, i have a little bit of an overbite they're like bug's bunny like- Right, and then
0: 27 people will like that and it'll appear on the right. top of this comment thread but, but but let us okay, the so- mean
1: it let me just i i do want it cuz you must have had some lovely ones what are the craziest things people have said about you that you've had to shrug off
0: Oh my god! Every single time, it's like your hair is too crazy. Is this, is this guy like a monster? Or but that's good because it's sort
1: of like the you know. A yeah, trademark. people
0: recognize me in the street because of that too. Like people say, "Oh, I all I saw was your silhouette. <laughs> I saw the shadow <laughs> of you, and I I said that must be James Altucher." That is a good thing when people can recognize you
1: from your silhouette.
0: But then, just in general, uh, ugliness, craziness, stupidity. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Like a lot of times I'll predict something like years and years ago and not all my predictions come true, but some pretty big ones have come true and... I'll get so much hate for the predictions in the beginning, and then nobody later will ever say, "Oh, yeah, James said this five <laughs> years ago." No, not a single person <laughs> has ever reminded me. Didn't you say that five years ago? And uh, well, let's
1: get you some positive uh, feedback now. Can that's remind- okay.
0: Life is short. I'm I'm always focused on on the next thing. All right. L- Life is short is another. It's it's basically true. Like your birth certificate has an expiration date on it. Yeah. So. It's life is pretty short, and it's helpful to remember that.
1: Well, you know what I do? I find very helpful is um, the memento mori. You know, in uh, in medieval times, all the paintings. What's it called, memento mori? Yeah,
0: reminder of death. Uh, Oh, is this like the Stoic coin? I see people carrying this coin that I think says that.
1: Oh yeah, I think what Ryan Holiday like started that. I did see that. This is, uh, but in the Middle Ages, you would have like a skull on your desk. To remind you, life is short and carpe diem. Uh, enjoy every day. For a while, I'm looking now. I think I took it off. I had a a little cute skull uh, GIF on my GIF, gif on my uh, on my laptop to remind me. And I did, I originally had like a scary skull, but that was depressing me. So I got like a fun little multicolored smiling skull, uh, and it got the point across. Like you know, we're gonna die unless. Aubrey de Grey is right and will live forever. We're 99% going to die. There is no way I want to live forever.
0: I, I think What would you life, like?
1: What would be, uh, like, what's a good
0: 200 years? 150? No, no, no. I I have uh, one 18-year-old and one 15-year-old. So once the 15-year-old is 18, I feel after that, <laughs> I could check out. Doesn't That's matter it. to me.
1: <laughs> so you've got three years left in that I've got place.
0: Three years potentially. Three years is all I care about. I see. Gotcha. I want to live another three years. After that, I don't care. And <laughs>
1: because <laughs> well, life's pretty I hope you'll annoying. Stick
0: like every day, you got to go to the bathroom all day long. Then you gotta. <laughs> you wake up in the middle of the night. You have to go to the bathroom. You have to you deal with you know the 7% of people who didn't watch the moon landing like it's <laughs> life's gotta pretty look, annoying you,
1: you got to look for the non annoying
0: parts i feel that oh yeah a- i got 3 years left of doing that i'm um I'm, <laughs> I'm okay with that but then after that i'll start remembering why i don't like it i anymore. will
1: say i told my wife that i'm going to outsource my funeral because i'm not going to be i'm not going to be there like i don't care what happens let it be for the enjoyment of others so what, whatever they want. If they want, like, a luau, if they want, you know, to watch video clips, if they don't want a funeral at all, whatever. Uh, that's the way I feel. And for my body, you know, since I don't really believe in reincarnation or an afterlife, I'll donate half my body to science and half to the cannibalism fetish community because I feel they're underserved, at least until we get the ethical
0: human meat. You know, you just tie it into two different Louis C.K. jokes. Really? So, yeah, the first one is people always say, you know, will you do this with my ashes and throw it here and throw it there? And Louis C.K. is like, no, I will not. You're dead. I'm not <laughs> running errands for you now. You're dead already. And then the other joke is he says he wants to do exactly that with his body. Let people who have kind of this necrophilia fetish just have at it. Oh, interesting. Because he wants to be the, in death, he wants to be the the Willy Wonka of necrophiliacs. So... <laughs> I love it. I I ripped him off. I did kind of the
1: cannibalism funny. twist so uh, there's room for both I think.
0: So I think I think the point of this segment which is a really great point is figuring out easy ways to decrease pain for humanity and the first that you came up with was your vegetarianism and kind of also a, a solution out of it if they ever start growing uh, yeah. in a in a kind of safe, organic way, food. You still don't want to. You still don't want them to swipe off cells from farmed cows that are raised in cages or whatever. But right. if there's some organic way that they're doing it, then that seems seems like it could int- finally introduce you yeah. back to meat.
1: Well, and I also don't want to come off like I'm, uh, you know, some sort of uh, incredibly moral person because I'm not. A lot of it is selfishly motivated because I think that. When my 20s, I focused exclusively on myself, on my own career, on my own happiness. So if something bad happened to me, it was like the end of the world. But I've been able to shift somewhat, maybe like 40% of my brain power to focusing on other people. And that way, I'm much happier. You get that warm glow that scientists have uh, have measured when you people, when they donate, they actually get like this. This
0: dopamine boost. And it doesn't have to be just charity, by the way. I think it improves your writing in the sense that you're not just writing about something you did so that you could benefit your career with a great book. But you're, you know, like this book, uh, it's all relative about uh, kind of the the family tree of the world is all about how we're all connected. So that should make us, in a sense, like each other more. Right. And I think you did this book in part out of... uh. I want to use the word altruistic uh, purposes as well as your own, you know, career purposes. This is, right. this is your career to find these things. It was but, selfish
1: altruism for sure.
0: But that hits upon what I really want to hit on here, which is a lot of people, like even people listening to this, like how old are you, AJ? You're, you're the same I am age old as me. I'm 49. We're yeah, we're 49. 49. What, what's your month again? You, you just turned 49. I'm March. You're I'm in January. February, January. Okay. Yeah, and they say, by the way, you learn more in that first month of life than in the entire rest of your life. So since I am two months older than you, I probably know about (laughs) double what you know at this point. That's just logic. That's science.
1: That makes sense. That's
0: science, yes. And I have a master's of science. Mm -hmm. So, But what I want to talk about is that anybody at the age of 49 could have come up with this idea and executed on it. You were really good at executing on it and getting a book deal and writing articles about it, and getting all the interviews you did. And you basically put this together. And, and that's been your career for, for 20 plus years. And it's, it's A, what's fascinating to me is it's a career that anyone could start at any age. You could be in your 50s, and even on the side working at your cubicle job, you could start an idea like this. But you've made your career from the beginning this, this idea that you could basically come up with this, again, this intersection between curiosity and uncomfortable experience it so you do something you don't just research, you do something and then you write about it. you write about what you did. so you're this gonzo style that you're the character in your experiment. So how did it get started? like how did you when as a kid were you like saying what happens if I um use a number three pencil instead of a number two <laughs> pencil for? A year? I wish
1: I had been that <laughs> smart. That is a great question. I mean, I definitely have always uh, embraced curiosity. There's a quote I have when I interviewed Alex Trebek. He said, uh, I'm curious about things, even those things that I'm not interested in. And I think that's a very important point. Like, you should be curious about everything and force yourself to become interested in things that are totally outside your discipline. Wait, let
0: let me understand that a little bit more. Because, like, for instance, I am not curious about why a spider has eight arms you know like so so I would never once research that although now probably after this now you've I got <laughs> to
1: and I'm sure it's going to be fascinating because you can come at it from a hundred different angles like well, well
0: and actually you exemplify this. Um, in your book, the Know It All, you read, you know, the Encyclopedia Britannica. A brilliant idea again. Like you come up with these brilliant, simple structures. Bless you, James. So, so I'm going to read the Encyclopedia Britannica from A to Z, and then write about the experience. So the book is your experience of doing it, but then also all the th- all these obscure, amazing things. You're learning, and and they are all fascinating, even if they're things I never was curious about before. So right? You, you kind of once did.
1: you di- once you just dive in a little bit, stick your toe in the water, you can get sucked in, and uh, and that I mean, when I was in college, I majored in intro courses. Like, I wanted to be a dilettante. I Wait, think you
0: majored in intro courses? Is that a real not major? Not
1: literally, but I took every intro course to everything I could. So, psychology, biology, sociology, linguistics, uh, you know, uh, literature, everything. Did I you
0: just do this to get A's and
1: everything? Like, you were a senior taking all these kinda. intro classes? <laughs> it was an added benefit. Uh, but actually, it's a lot of times more work because you had to read, like, you know, the history of Western society. But I the the word dilettante i think has obviously a negative connotation but i want to but the flip side reclaim. is renaissance man yes renaissance man and we don't have that anymore when i was reading the encyclopedia i would read about these people in the 19th century who were like goethe the writer he was like a lawyer a writer, a color theorist. He wrote like scientific tracts on color theory. He was like a mollusk scientist. It was all these crazy things, all in one person. And now we have to specialize so much. Uh, so it's not practical to be a total dilettante like Goethe now, but I think spreading your your curiosity wide, Helps you in whatever spe- specialty you're in because it allows you to come up with new ideas, synthesize, like you talk about idea sex. Yeah, and that's oh boy, that's embarrassing. Your
0: phone ring in the middle that of a podcast. That is embarrassing. And by the way, we don't edit that out. That's, oh, now
1: I'm gonna come off like a total some dick. Pain in the I, among men exactly in the world.
0: Exactly right. That um, is. But let, let me ask you a question: How for someone who's been just kind of you know, there's sort of these this idea of you go the filtered path of like job, graduate school, I mean, you know, undergrad, grad school, uh, job for 30 years, retire, you know, get promotions, save money, retire, Um, being curious about everything, being this, uh, you know, how how someone who's kind of gone this filtered path, how can they now start cultivating that curiosity about everything? Well,
1: I would say- You've had a lot of practice, you've been doing it for 20 years. I have had a lot of practice. I force myself to read books about topics I don't know about, even if I am not interested.
0: So in you the go topic. into a bookstore, or you go on Amazon, right? What do you do?
1: Yeah, I just uh, well, I'll hear about. Well, let me. I'm trying to think of an example because <laughs> I should. I mean, the problem is I, I've been reading widely for a long time, so it's but something like um, reading about you know the the history of garbage or the history of. Uh, Uh, of coffee, just trying to, um, you know, my next book, actually, my next book that I plan to read is the, uh, like, the gummy, the dummy's guide to accounting, because I know nothing about accounting,
0: and I feel like uh, a bit of an idiot, and I... So what made you think of of that particular book? And by the way, way, accounting is like a cliche for a boring activity, but I actually think there are very fascinating topics within accounting.
1: Yeah, any topic accounting you helps can you think
0: understand of. whether a project, or a business, or an endeavor is going well or not. And right, because it it tells you how to account, and when to account for different activities that are happening within the project. Right, and that is worthwhile about about whether you sh- or should decide should I continue this or not. Yeah.
1: And it's also a lot about cost benefit analysis, which I think we need a lot more of that kind of thinking. Uh, You know, cost benefit, because that's the way I try to look at most problems. Nothing is all good, nothing is all bad. Like I once wrote an article uh, for Esquire about love, the cost benefit analysis of being married to my wife. Uh, Charles Darwin, when he was deciding whether to get engaged, he wrote, like a pros and cons list and the the cons were like he wouldn't get to spend so much time with his gentleman friends uh but the pros were he would have this person to spend his life with so he ended up and that's what for valentine's i i write my wife you know the the benefits of being married to you outweigh the costs that's my love letter to her
0: so so that is a a beautiful notion (laughs) Uh, i'm very romantic i just want to bring up a stephen wright joke about charles darwin So he said, you know, he has that droll way of giving Mm one-liners. He's like, so I have a theory about Charles Darwin's theory of evolution. Charles Darwin was adopted. (laughs) (laughs) So, But uh, what else I was going to say about that was... um, Accounting. No, cost-benefit analysis of love. um, I forget now. But that's an interesting way to, to look at everything, I guess, is... Not that everything should be have a, a net benefit, but you obviously want it to. I, I try to have everything have a net benefit, and yeah, that's how I make
1: decisions. Like I've actually, I came up with this just last week, this sort of four-quadrant way of making decisions. So when I'm trying to decide my next book project, the four quadrants are my my current happiness, my future happiness, because it could be that it's a pain in the ass to write the book, but that it'll lead to great things. That's two quadrants. And then on the other side is the world's happiness and um the world's future happiness. So I could So wait,
0: wait, isn't future happiness too correlated with your current happiness to make it a separate quadrant? Well, you know, because you could do something like, you know, going reading
1: um reading an accounting book, I think, will be unpleasant in the in the in the present but it'll pay off in the future like it's all about
0: like delayed gratification so so you're saying the world's happiness and your happiness won't benefit from you reading an accounting book right now but your happiness and the future's happiness so it'll be you'll be in the right quadrant will benefit from you reading an accounting book right i
1: don't know about the world so much but certainly yeah me well
0: and well well it could be the world because you'll that's how you'll decide on uh like listen with this accounting thing, that's how you decide on future it'll help you decide what what future books to do. Right, there you go. So, so
1: uh so that's the way I try to make decisions. Cause and my next book I am actually I'm What's know, the next book gonna be about? Well, the next book uh is it's for TED books, and I probably shouldn't talk about it, but I will. Uh sorry, my publisher. We, we, won't,
0: we won't mention <laughs> it to anybody, they'll just stay in this room.
1: <laughs> it is um it's called going to be called something like "Thanks for Everything," and it's about the idea of gratitude. And so, I take something that I love, like my morning cup of coffee, and I'm going to thank everyone involved in making that cup. So, I'm going to Brazil to thank the people who grew the beans, the person who, um, uh, you know, designed the the cup, the person who drove the truck. The, bar- the barista of course and I've already started researching and it's amazing like- so,
0: so that's like it reminds me of the book I pencil which shows you all the um not not the not in the end goal is very different but I pencil um, shows you where a pencil comes from mm. and so each component like where were the trees where was the lead what was the eraser right. you know or the rubber or the metal um so it, it kind of breaks down like the how without modern you know, 2,000 years of the development of modern technology and agriculture and the Industrial Revolution, we would simply not have a pencil. Well, that's it. And I,
1: I want to read that book, but it's it's all about thousands of people contributed to this cup of coffee. And you just don't think about how many. And I love getting into the details. Like yesterday I looked up the lid that goes on the coffee and the amount of thought that went into this coffee lid is just Beautiful, because this particular lid, they have an indentation for your nose, so it doesn't go up against. They have a little hole that lets the odor, aroma come through. The spout is specially designed so it doesn't go like a fountain like some of the other lids. It like smoothly goes into your mouth. So wait, and- so,
0: so so, and I'm sorry to interrupt, uh, I'm interrupting only because... That's your trademark, it's another
1: trademark. The hair and the
0: interrupting. And I got it, it's like a brilliant book and I'm gonna read all, we'll we'll talk many times I'm sure before the book comes out about all these different things. But what's amazing to me again, at first when you told me that this book, my initial, when you told me the title and you said it's about gratitude, my initial inclination was to write then say, "Ugh, not another book about gratitude. I am so sick well, of" It's funny. Articles I, and books about gratitude. I
1: read your book, your post, Gratitude Porn, and I loved it because I agree. It's it's a dangerous thing, and I've actually one of the things that I've tried to stress in this book is gratitude is a double-edged sword. It can make you very selfish and be like, "Oh, everything's great. All, you know, all of this wonderful stuff." But you got to remember some of these people who are picking the beans are paid $3 a day and and I'm getting paying $3 for my coffee. So gratitude as a way of inspiring you to make the world better
0: like almost as like an inspiration for for activism. But but again it's like you have something you're curious about. Um so it's not just so we all know the benefits of gratitude. So I don't think you were curious about that. You were you were curious about all the things you're grateful for, what actually, how it actually happens, how it has become created in the world that you then end up with this feeling of gratitude. And then- again, you combine that with something uncomfortable. Like, I'm gonna go to Brazil and meet these guys who are picking the coffee beans for three cents an hour or whatever. and uh, you're gonna you're gonna travel all around the world, probably, which is super annoying for, for <laughs> super annoying an upper West Side guy who likes to just stay. I know for a fact, you just like to stay at home and do nothing. So it's amazing that I even got you into this studio here. So you're gonna go into something super uncomfortable and, an AJ Jacobs trademark in your books. You're going to become the main character of your book. It's this. It's this sort of humorous Gonzo style, like you know, a Hunter S. Thompson esque. Like you go to the right. thing and and write about it. And and so, what what is it in you? What's the muscle? How can we cultivate this? This it's this triumvirate, like the the weird curiosity about something that's very basic: Bible knowledge, health, family. Gratitude. So it's you. It's like you could describe your books with one. Every one of your books, you could describe with one word. But then you kind of take. You go at least two layers deeper than that to say to something to an area where nobody else has thought about, and then you you find the where the edge where it's uncomfortable for you, and that's where you personally visit right. and then write about it. So this well, is the I, AJ formula.
1: I do think. Well, a couple of things. One, I think. It's more interesting to write about someone who's in pain and uncomfortable than like someone who's happy. So that I think makes it makes for better. Well, you Cause know, K-
0: Carrie Fisher has said that also. Yeah, the late Carrie Fisher. Well, she con- said no one wants to read about beautiful people. They want to read about
1: right conflict. That's yeah. like the basis of all literature and and entertainment. Uh, so there's that. But then in terms of doing it, I don't. I actually don't think I was born a very courageous person. Uh, I was sort. You know, I think I was born kind of uh shy and and withdrawn but i have forced myself to go into these uncomfortable situations almost like an actor like a method writer where i force myself to do it and i almost look at myself as a character and like you know i can't believe that i'm doing this but it makes the idea hopefully that the ends justify the means that in the end i'm going to get something good out of it that will make my life better so the discomfort it's like training you know it's like training for a marathon. Uh, you know, it's it's uncomfortable, but in the end, you'll get this elation from finishing it.
0: Let's stop to take a quick break. We'll be right back. I try to make this show about peak performance, but what I've learned is that money and abundance are just a side effect of good quality health. Here's the whole thing. Stay physically healthy in whatever way you know. Sleep well, eat well, exercise. That's so important. Be around good people who love you and respect you and who you love and respect and be grateful every day. And think about what you feed your body. I want to discuss something that I've discovered. I know I'm not the poster boy for fitness, but I do consider myself extremely healthy. So I'm feeling excited to tell you about a part of my morning routine. It's called Athletic Greens. I never know what is going to come up during my day. So I've outsourced part of my health to Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is much more than just another greens product. It's the most complete supplement available with 75 ingredients working together to help with 11 different areas of health. Just one scoop when I wake up in the morning and I know I have all my bases covered. It's quick, easy, and it tastes great. It is everything from prebiotics and probiotics for digestion as well as adaptogens, stress, and hormone support. It's got everything I need to ensure my body and mind are in top shape every single day. This product isn't just for athletes. I'm no athlete. It's for anyone who wants to be on top of their game. Success is about consistency and doing. And taking athletic greens each day is the highest leverage thing you can do for your health. Because this is important to me, I've asked them to arrange a special deal for you, the listeners. You can receive a whopping 30% off your first purchase. Simply go to athleticgreens.com James to claim this special offer. That's athleticgreens.com James. Getting into a daily routine with Athletic Greens really will be the single best thing you can do for your health and success this year. I can't stress this enough. Do yourself a favor, jump over right now to athleticgreens.com slash James and subscribe today. I never thought I was gonna wear a suit again. In the ideal world, I do think I look good in a tuxedo. So I would wear a tuxedo every day, but honestly, it's probably because I never found a suit I liked. Now, Indochino has changed my mind. I'm seeing suits in an entirely new light. Let me tell you why. It's because it actually fits. Most suits go by a generic size chart and then it's cut by a tailor. Or I hate waiting for that in the store. When you put on a suit that's made to measure something that actually fits your body, it's life-changing. Indochino invited me to their beautiful store. They have a bunch and two in New York City. I went to the one on Broom Street and they measured my chest for me, my arms and my legs. Happy to share those measurements with anyone who asks, but thank goodness I'm not ticklish. I'm a professional. The point is this, Indochino is making it easy to get a perfectly tailored suit at an incredible price. Here's how it works. Visit a showroom or shop online at indochino.com. Pick your fabric, choose your customizations from lapels to pleats to jacket linings and more, submit your measurements, place your order, and just wait for it to arrive in just a few weeks. I really recommend if you've never had that experience of wearing a made-to-measure suit, then just consider giving it a try now because the feeling is amazing. It really is different. And this week, my listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $379 at indochino.com when entering James at checkout. That's 50% off, half off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit which is a really, really great deal. Plus shipping is free. That's Indochino.com promo code James for any premium suit for just $379 and free shipping. Incredible deal for a suit that will fit you better than anything off the rack ever could. It's a very interesting thing. What is the comfort zone and what's not in the comfort zone? So people always Think that if you're not in the comfort zone, you're doing something that's unpleasant or something that's going to make you unhappy. And that's why it's not in the comfort zone. Right. But comfort is just about being comfortable. It's it's not necessarily about happiness or unhappiness. Right. So it could be that happiness in general is not in the comfort zone. I think that's a great point. So like if I'm just lying in my couch all day, I'll be comfortable, but I might not be as happy as if I'm with friends or doing something I enjoy or whatever. So sometimes going out of the comfort zone is specifically how you get yourself to be happy. Well, that's
1: it. I feel that I am naturally kind of a, a misanthrope and a hermit. But I forced my, I married, luckily, I married this woman who's very social. So she forces me to go out on these, uh, to these dinners with friends. And
0: the before, worst, right? The
1: worst, <laughs> like five minutes before, I'm like, God damn it, why am I, I'd rather watch Netflix. But then I'm reminded at dinner, like, oh, people are kind of interesting. I'm getting different points of view. And I come home much happier. So I know intellectually, being an extrovert, Makes me happier than being an introvert, but I know I have to force myself to be an extrovert. And my wife is like way out on the spectrum. Like she will do the electric slide at parties, and she made me do that a couple of times. That was a bridge too far. Like I will not do the electric slide, but 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 all the extrovert
0: also doesn't necessarily mean that you despise being out with people, uh, even though your inclination might be to stay indoors. All it really means is. Uh, And this might apply to your wife and not apply to you. Is that you get energy when you're out with other mm. people, whereas you get you rejuvenate when you're by yourself? But it has nothing to do with whether you actually enjoy being with the other people. And that's what you realize once you go out with other right. people. You look, you spend your few hours and then you go home and you're happier, and then you re- have a chance to yeah. rejuvenate.
1: Well, I actually don't buy that a hundred percent. That there's that there's like you're born with those two types thing that it sucks you out. I think you can. You can change yourself like one of your mantras. You can like be in charge of yourself and you can change your personality to some effect and make yourself an an extrovert, which is what I, I'm not a full extrovert, but I'm much more extroverted than I used to be.
0: I I probably am also, but I think I choose to be an introvert. Like I enjoy being by myself, right? except when, when, look, what are, we're we're good friends. We've known each other for years, but the only time we kind of hang out socially is when we're doing a podcast. <laughs> it's a great way. It's very efficient. So, so this is how I become an extrovert. As I start a podcast or I give a talk or, you know. <laughs> well, that's it. That is
1: a very smart way. And that's the same thing with my books. I am forced to talk to all these people who are outside my comfort zone and I would never have contacted. You know, I was forced to talk to, for this book on family, I talked to like this guy who heads up the uh, the the cousin couples uh, uh, support group for America, like because first cousins uh, are l- legally allowed to marry in 19 states, and uh, and they feel very persecuted that they are not allowed to marry everywhere, so they started this massive support group. And I would never have run into him, but I love that I'm forced to. And it was a fascinating conversation,
0: and he totally changed my perspective. Oh, on it. I can't wait to read that section in this book. Um, okay, so it seems like I'm I'm trying to piece together the AJ Jacobs technique, and we skipped uh, a few steps. We, we, we you know, you kind of have the the one word idea that you go two levels deeper on to get t- to get into the real uh, kind of obscure curiosity. You and then at the level where it becomes uncomfortable for you, it's almost as if you sort of recognize that edge, like, oh, I'm feeling uncomfortable. And then you know, okay, that's what I have to do. Like like you, you wonder out loud, what would it be like uh to is it possible to read uh you know you know or or maybe i don't know how this happened the the know-it-all book did you wonder who's the smartest person in the world or did you just say oh i i'm curious about all the different things encyclopedia britannica and then you kind of got to this edge well what if i took gave myself a timeline and forced myself to read all of the books and nothing else and that was your level that was your edge that was the level where you were uncomfortable and you said ah I recognize this feeling of discomfort. Now I have to do it. Yeah. And by the way, this is something anybody sitting in a cubicle or commuting and listening to this can do. Any one of these ideas that you did, yeah. someone can do and create a book or, or a show or whatever and, and self-publish or whatever and do it. That's true. You did it. Well. And you're I, always recreating and coming up with these ideas. But how do you come up with that initial well, idea? Well,
1: uh, two things come to mind when you, when you bring that. I mean, first of all, uh, another writer... Uh, I know who is great and whose name I'm forgetting now. He was one of the original Saturday Night Live writers and uh, Alan Zweibel. Zweibel. Uh, But I was on a panel with him once and he had a nice quote where he's like, the writer always has to have two heads, like the head that's in the experience and then a head that's on the shoulder observing and being like, this is weird. This is interesting. This could be... And I actually think you don't have to be a writer. I think it helps everyone because it gives you perspective and it gives you stories for later. So I'm always on the lookout for ideas all all the time. So that encyclopedia idea was actually from my dad. I just stole it from my dad. When, he, when I was a kid, he started to read the encyclopedia. Uh, he made it up to the middle of, like, the bees, like, Bolivia or something. And then he's like, I got better things to do. (laughs) I got a life. But I was like, well, this is a fun, weird idea. Let me see if I can finish it.
0: And you knew it would be uncomfortable because it was so uncomfortable. Right. He only got up to B. Exactly. So, so you figured, okay, that's probably my edge. So I'm going to go. Right. So I have to do it now. It seems to me you say, you don't say I'm going to go past it. You say I have to do it. And
1: well, the other thing that you bring up about uncomfortableness is and I think this has made my life so much better. Is to embrace it, to lean into it a little. Um, you know, Schadenfreude—the the, the yes. term when like you know you get enjoyment out of other people's pain. I try to practice self Schadenfreude. Whatever there needs to be a word for it. So when I'm in a situation where it's just going horribly, I can always be like, you know what, this
0: is a disaster. I I love this phrase. And Self-Schattenfreude, if I'm saying it right. But
1: I know that I'll be able to tell a story about it later. Like my first uh my first TV appearance on was on Good Morning America, and they I was so nervous they gave me a, a water and I was shaking so hard that I spilled the water on my lap. So it looked like I had just peed. I was not sitting behind a desk. I was in this on this uh stool. So I had like this huge pee stain on my pants I like had to contort myself like a yoga master so that no one could really see it but even then I was like this is so horrible (laughs) but I know I can write about it later somehow
0: you know it's interesting because the very first time I went on TV it's one of those things where I was asked and I agreed knowing I would totally be scared to death beforehand but it forces you to be ready for it. Like, I know I'm not gonna say no once I agree. Right. And so it forces you. So, so. What was that? What was the. Uh, it was a CNBC. It was on Jim Kramer's show on CNBC. It was on like uh, Ludlow. And at the time, it was Ludlow and Kramer or something like that. But um, uh, the other day, I kind of challenged myself to, you know, I've been trying to get better at something that's incredibly uncomfortable, which is stand up comedy. And I said, okay, I've done a couple of different rooms and clubs, you know, from professional to all sorts of clubs. But I'm going to challenge myself to do something even harder, which is I'm going to go on a random subway car and just start doing stand-up comedy. I love that. Because it forces you to be in a crowd that might not be friendly at all, you really don't expect them to laugh. They're not. They're that not is going to be so fun, comfortable. Yeah, I can't
1: even stand it. Wait, and it also—have you done that? Or I did it, going,
0: I did it. Oh, you already did it. Yeah, yeah, I did it. And it also forces you to be super tight on your one liners. Like you can't have a single extra word on your one liners, and you have to. They might be get out. They might get out of the. Yeah, and their attention span is is microseconds. They're not even looking at you, as opposed to a comedy club where a group of people are looking at you, waiting to laugh, or as opposed to giving a talk where they're looking at you and they don't even expect to laugh. Right, you could just say anything in a talk. That is insane. Subway
1: was really. Can you just take me through that really quickly? Like, did you have a microphone, or are you doing it without a mic?
0: I did it without a mic, but you know maybe I should have a mic. But we we videotaped it, so I have I had to speak loud enough that the video um, could pick it up on the iPhone, and because the iPhone was uh, uh, two or three feet behind me, and 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 I wasn't facing the iPhone, I was facing the cr- the people sitting. Yeah, and you kind of have to be clean in your jokes too, because for several reasons. One is you don't want to <laughs> um, turn people off right away. Right. And B, if it seems like a little creepy, you might be a creep. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you don't want to do that at yeah. all either. Like you can't have like sexual jokes. There's kids on the subway, and so have So that forces a different level to the comedy as well, and it has to be super tight one-liners again.
1: So can you tell me how it went, uh, or do I have to wait for the video?
0: Uh, I'll show you the video. I'll send it to you. But uh, uh, it went it went great because my goal was not to make people laugh. My goal was to simply do it. But right before I did it, we got on the subway and. Uh, uh, I turned to Pamela, who was right here videotaping this podcast. I turned to Pamela and I said, Okay, we just wasted our time because there is zero chance I am going to do this. I looked at the crowd. There was zero chance <laughs> I was going to do it. It was just people listening to their headphones on the subway. But then, like 30 seconds later, I said, Okay, turn on the video. And then I just started doing it. That I, is I amazing. kind of, because I had made the commitment to myself that I'm already down here, I'm going to do it. Right. And I don't know any of these people. Like, what could be wrong with just doing it? And And what's
1: amazing to me is that that must make going on stage at a comedy club seem easy. It's like when we'll see because I just did this
0: two days ago. So I haven't been on the comedy club since then.
1: Well, it reminds me of what we were talking about before the show. Like when I practice making a speech, I put CNN on a TV in the background just to distract me because I know that. When I'm on stage, there are going to be people talking and coughing and leaving to go to the bathroom. So I want to prepare myself for distraction. And you had mentioned a fantastic story.
0: Yeah. So, so uh, I mentioned, um, Mikhail Botvinnik, who was the world chess champion in the 1950s, he used to play training matches with his opponent blowing smoke right in his face. And he hated smoke more than anything, and it would force him to play under under the worst conditions for himself. And then you mentioned the Tiger Woods situation.
1: Yeah, someone told me, I I should Google it to make sure it's true, but the Tiger Woods dad would throw pennies at him while he was trying to putt to just give him that extra uh, distraction. That he's going to have when he's playing a live tournament,
0: so so there is this element that discomfort will actually make you better at what you want to be better at. like so so you want to be better at giving a talk, so you practice under hard conditions right. that you probably won't even ever have to deal with in real life. Uh, and in a comedy club, I'm never going to have to deal with the kind of audience that's in a subway. Because uh, <laughs> in a comedy it. club, they pre-selected themselves to be right, there. Right. Um, subway, they really don't want you interrupted. Most people don't want you in there <laughs> and talking. <laughs> and then also I would do m- what, I, what I would call multiple sets because I would go from car to car. Every stop, I would just go to a different car. So it's a different <laughs> audience. And we went... From 28th Street to the Brooklyn Bridge all the way back to 28th Street. And each stop was a new set. And so I, I, I kind of hit every type of audience in that time. And and I'll do it again. I'm gonna keep doing it because it is good good practice. It's great. It's like you know
1: when the baseball players have like four different bats while they're warming up on deck, and then they get the one bat when they're pit, when they're uh, actually hitting and be like, this is easy.
0: Oh, the same thing with practicing music. When they tell you, you know, you practice on a piano and hit the keys uh, much harder than you would just to kind of like get that feeling of I don't know that muscle memory in there and they're in a really hard situation, but. I still want to go two steps back. Uh, And this podcast is turning out to be longer than I thought, but it's fascinating. I want to go two steps back. How do you still come up with that initial idea? Like how someone listening to this can start coming up with uh, fun ideas of something that's worth exploring and yet so simple to explain?
1: Well, I I think one of the things we've talked about is the beauty of... Idea generation, like forcing yourself again uncomfortable, um, forcing yourself to do fifteen minutes of I, of brainstorming a day, and I try to do that. I don't always succeed, but like you, you do, know, do that.
0: You do try to do that every day because I, I do. I try to do that every day as well. I know. I
1: love that. And uh, and yeah, turning off all uh, uh, all electronics and just sitting down and generating ideas, as we've discussed. Ninety-nine percent of them are gonna suck, but there's gonna be that one percent. It's a numbers game. Uh, that's gonna really right. work.
0: Because pe- people ask me, how do you? Because I write down ten ideas a day, and people ask me, well, how do you keep track of them? And I say, I I don't. You're gonna come up with three thousand six hundred fifty ideas a year if you do this or more, and maybe one of them is good enough to really execute. Also, execution ideas are part of ideas. So some days you'll come up with execution ideas on a prior idea that you feel inspired by, and that gives you a chance to quickly test out. If you're good at coming up with execution ideas, it'll give you a chance to quickly test out if an idea is interesting enough. Like your idea about a book about gratitude, where you kind of indulge and go into very deeply what the, the roots of all these things that you're grateful for are, you were probably able to really test it out. Tell your wife, tell your friends that you trust, tell an right. editor, tell an agent. You know, I am all for that. Some people, I used to
1: be so secretive about my ideas, it was pathological. Uh, and I'll give you an example. I My first book was about the eerie similarities between Jesus and Elvis. Uh, and it was based on. I don't remember that book. Oh, it was like a you know like a novelty book. It had literally eight hundred words. It was like you know Jesus is the Lord Shepherd. Elvis dated Sybil Shepherd. That was like, <laughs> it was like a. It didn't deserve to be a book. It was like a. How'd you come up with that one? That one I came about because I was reading weirdly. Uh, an autobiography of Elvis's hairdresser. Again, just reading outside. Okay, how did
0: you how did you pick up that book and start reading it? Like uh, what? I, out of the ten million books published last year, why would you pick up that book?
1: That one was just because you. This is when libraries were still the main source of. So I went to a library and I just picked up ten books, which I think you do right, and just yeah. flip through them and find something that's interesting. So I found this. And I was like, that is crazy, but maybe he's right. But but,
0: but you're not just flipping through the book with the idea to be informed. You're also constantly challenging what you're reading. It's like you said, you're finding the weird in what you're reading.
1: Well, you're actively looking for ideas, not passively
0: reading. I'm not even going to say actively looking for ideas, because it's not like you picked up that book saying, huh, I want to find Ideas that I can use from this book. You're kind of actively looking for something unusual or right. weird.
1: That's true. Something that challenges your uh, conventional wisdom and your point of view.
0: And so, and so, so somehow you ended up with Sybil Shepherd, and you connected that to Jesus was the Lord Shepherd. Like, how did you do that? Well, that one is like you know.
1: I find if you're going to do that kind of humor, uh, it's a pretty simple um, formula. You just write down on one side of the paper, everything you can think of to do with Jesus, and on the other side, everything you can think of to do with Elvis, and then find the connection.
0: Okay, well then how did you connect Jesus and Elvis? Like, why Jesus? Well, that
1: was because in this uh, hairdresser's memoir, he said that Elvis once looked at the clouds and said, I see a vision in the clouds of myself as Jesus Christ. I think I am the second coming of Jesus.
0: So you thought... So, so so I'm just going, working myself th- through the AJ technique. You thought to yourself, that is such an outlandish statement that it's weird. So right. you, you put it in the category of weird, and then you ask yourself, well, is that true? Yeah,
1: try and, to and, and, prove and, and, something. Like Chris Rock talks about his his method, which is not mine, but he takes like the most outlandish statement he can think of and then tries to prove it with his comedy.
0: It's well, almost like a debate. And this is why I call you a, uh, America's top humorist. <laughs> and I'll throw you in the category with Dave Barry, who I also think is a very good humorist and, and a somewhat similar style to yours. Um, a little bit different. He's not as experimental, but he it puts himself as a character in his books. But um, it reminds me of your brilliant, brilliant article, which obviously wasn't a book, but it was shared like 20,000 times on Facebook, when Ann Coulter said she made some kind of uh, somewhat insulting remark about Jews having sex. Like, how many Jews are having sex right now? I forget the context in which she said that. And you took it literally. She was just making some kind of weird, stupid joke. And you took it very literally and said, well, here's the math. Right. And you actually figured it out. And it became this viral It was
1: interesting. Yeah, that one was... She had said something while watching the Republican debates, and she felt that they were trying to appeal too much to, to the Israel lobby. And she wrote, uh, how many fucking Jews are there in the United States? And I decided, uh, let's oh, find yeah. out yeah, yeah, how yeah, many you. fucking Jews, how many Jews are fucking? And, you know, how many Jews are sexually active? Also, how many Jews are actually having intercourse during when she said that? So I just did the math. Uh, and i looked at how many times people have sex and
0: on so, average so so the math which is of course the funny and the viral part is the easy part right so that was the easy part for you the hard part is a deciding hmm this is outlandish enough right cuz you we hear outlandish things all day long but you but you kind of have exercise this muscle muscle of figuring out what's outlandish enough to take the next step with. And then you go from the outlandish to the literal. So you'll say, okay, that was an outlandish statement that Ann Coulter made. I'm gonna write the statement out and look at it in various ways. And so that's why when she said, uh, fucking Jews, you took it literal. You go from the outlandish right. to the literal. And with the um, the Elvis comparing himself to Jesus, You said, well, what if we took that really literally? We have to make a list of all the qualities and see how they intersect. And with with the gratitude, you're taking it very literally. It's not just that, oh, I'm so grateful for this nice cup of coffee. What are you really, when you say that statement, what are you really grateful for? And you have to really, that's how you get from that first kind of simplistic statement to this level of depth that that you get to that becomes funny and makes you a character, and, and in the case of your book, it makes you a character. In the case of the Ann Coulter thing, it makes you a humorist, right? Uh, and with the books, you 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 combine well, both.
1: What I love about this is that you have explained my. <laughs> my work style better than I could have. Like you have cracked the code and it's going to help me in the future. But or or, or yeah, maybe
0: it'll throw you off. Yeah, like, I might oh, throw a no, new to
1: self-conscious.
0: Uh, yeah, now I'm, I'm falling too much into James's formula for my technique.
1: <laughs> but I think you're right. Like Taking something that's said a million times and then delving deep into it and seeing it from a hundred different angles,
0: that really is... That's very fruitful, I think. Well, well, let's take a common statement that we referred to earlier. Um, life is too short. So that's a very common statement. It's a cliche. Right. right? To, to say that or to write that or to give that advice is, is a cliche. Right. So so that that might be even so simplistic and cliche that it's not worth kind of taking it literally. But what would be, if you were to do something with that, what would you do? Well, first of all... I'm not saying you should do something with that. Again, it might be too simplistic, but what would you do?
1: This is, I mean, I would say there are two ways, a couple of ways to approach it. One, and this is not for comedy, this is just for brainstorming. Take each one of those words and break it down. So what does life mean? Like if I were being, you know, tortured in a uh, Iraqi prison for my entire life, Is that life too short? I'd want that life to end after like ten seconds. So I don't know if what that's going to lead to, but that's just an interesting way to say. Let's look at what those words mean. And then life is too short. What does that mean? Life is too short. You know, if you if I really lived ten thousand years, would that be good? Um, You know, I would. uh, it, It reminds me of the Twilight movies where the vampires they are immortal and so this guy the the main guy character is he was a civil war soldier so he's literally like 170 years old and he is dating a 17 year old high school student i would fucking hate that like i don't want to date a high school student when i'm 170 so is that actually is life too short do you want to be 170 And uh, like, who are you going to date when you're 170? So just breaking it down and looking at it very literally and and what each aspect of that sentence
0: means. That's really fascinating. So I'm going to, this is good exercise to kind of think of all the statements you hear. Not, so so life, the thing about the problem with the phrase life is too short is that it's not outlandish like what Ann Coulter said or what Elvis said. But even with like these simplistic cliches, it's possible to do your style of technique and potentially you can make a whole book out of it. Oh, yeah, no, I love that. It's taking- Like you could look at all the animals on earth and figure out like, well, you, you say humans are, life is too short, but we live, we're going to go through 10,000 generations of ants by the time we die. So, right. you know, it's not too short for for if an ant was looking at our lifespan, for instance, or whatever.
1: Yeah. Well, I actually, uh, and I may do this sometime, like the the phrase uh, would be, uh, the idea would be to take a, f- a very familiar phrase and really just go deep, deep into it. So we hold these truths to be uh Oh man, this is embarrassing. As an American, I should be kicked uh, out.
0: These holds these troops to be inevitable. Inalienable. Yeah. Uh, inalienable sounds right. Oh man, I don't Our know. This is embarrassing. Rights. Jay, what is it? Google it.
1: Uh but anyway, the the life, liberty, and the pursuit self-evident. of happiness. What? Self
0: evident. Oh, Self evident.
1: <laughs> God. So what are the inalienable rights? Those are uh, something else. <laughs> anyway, uh well I just exposed Those are the ones my complete extraterrestrials. ignorance. extraterrestrials. But I don't, but yeah, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Just going into, oh, I know there was also all men are created equal. Let's go to that for one second. First of all, men, like that's a fascinating thing. They just focus on the men created equal. You know, Stephen Hawking's brain was not created equal with mine and created. What does that mean? Like, who decides? Does that mean you need a creator or? Can an atheist embrace this? So the very most basic phrases, just delving deep into them and finding out.
0: So, that, so that's a basic one. What's an outlandish one that you could think of that you're not really going to explore, but you thought, huh, that's kind of weird that someone just said that this morning.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, when I interviewed the guy who represented first cousin marriage, you know, the idea of first cousin marriage is is good, or first cousin marriage should not be illegal. And delving into that, I think if you, why why do we find first cousin marriage so repulsive? And I think there's an evolutionary reason, but uh, if you think about it, the reason, the most logical argument against first cousin marriage is that you're going to have genetic defects in your kids. But Look at it now, we have DNA tests that can tell all sorts of genetics. So if you are marrying someone who's ostensibly not related to you at all, like you know fortieth cousin, and you both have the Alzheimer's gene, should you not be allowed to to uh, get married? Or the risk of first cousin marriage birth defects is about the same as a forty year old woman having a child so should a 40-year-old woman not be allowed to have a child so
0: and this also gets into the issue of marriage as an institution as a legal institution so i remember having this discussion several years ago with a friend of mine who was against gay marriage and gay marriage rights and he's he said to me the point of well why can't anyone then just get married to anyone else like if if you pass gay marriage laws that was his argument and he's like for instance why can't a kid get married to his grandmother to avoid uh, estate taxes, and my feeling was okay. Well, why not? Like, why can't I <laughs> exactly. get married to his grandmother because it's just a legal institution. But then, so that so then it is looking at again every single word. But but again, you take you you either take the outlandish like in the Ann Coulter case or the Elvis case, or you take the simple like knowledge. And I'm going to read what's the most outlandish thing. So I'm going to take actually one step further back. You make the outlandish statement. Uh, mm. so so Bible, I'm going to live a, a biblical life for a year uh, gratitude, I'm actually going to break down everything I'm grateful for in a way that nobody ever has Right. Um, family, not only are we all related, but I'm going to build the family tree of the entire world, so you make the outlandish statement right. and then your literal thing is all the ways in which you can execute on it and that's how you create well, a that,
1: book that is one way I come up with ideas is I will take something and then push it to the farthest extreme. So for instance, when I read like 12 years ago, The World is Flat by Tom Friedman, and he was talking about banks and and, and the law firms outsourcing to India, like India would do their work for him. I was like, well, how can I take that to the extreme and apply it to my own life? What if I just outsourced every single thing possible? And that was the genesis of this article that, that sort of was excerpted in Tim Ferriss's book,
0: and also the, it was the genesis of your your best-selling book, My Life as an Experiment, and, right? And
1: and it was very yeah. So taking things to the ridiculous extreme, the you know absurdio ad reductum, knowing that a lot of it will be ridiculous, but in the end there will be something you can learn
0: from it. So okay, let's take a simple word that's a common thing and try to figure out what the next outlandish step is. Okay, I so, like it. So the word play.
1: Play, as in the like theater playing. Or, or playing? No, yeah. Well, uh, I mean, you could try to gamify your entire life. Like the, I, I there was this, you know, this trend of gamification trying to make things.
0: Oh, and like- there was this novel, you read The, the Dice Man? I love the by, dice by Luke man. Reinhardt. That was crazy. It's a 1970s book, I think. Yeah, cold Every book. decision he made, he'd roll the dice.
1: Yeah, that was an insane book. Uh, really interesting. Uh, yeah, I, his life did not turn out so well in the end. <laughs> I think he was, you know, he was in jail by the end. Uh,
0: maybe. Which not. is going to happen in a very kind of straight and narrow society if you make your life even a little volatile, right. Based on chance. You're gonna end up in jail almost always. Yeah, well, <laughs> or dead. I
1: try not to like in my experiments. Those are two of the parameters. I try not to go to jail or be killed.
0: Okay, so you could have rules to the game, right? That's true. But yes, yeah,
1: so, so if you if you take this idea of play and gamification, which a lot of corporations are doing, you know, the leaderboard for how many, uh, you know, who's uh, who's made the most sales and turn it into a game, and you get a bonus if you're number one on the leaderboard. What if you just gamified every aspect of your life? So, like, gamify your sex life. How many orgasms can you make your girlfriend have? You know, gamify uh, your 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 food. How many uh, you know? How many asparagus stalks can you have, and you get a you get a prize? So for what the would amount.
0: you? What, so, so just thinking of this out loud. What would you do each day? Would you say, okay, I have these activities to do. Uh, i'm gonna come up with the rules of each game right now of how i'm gonna gamify them, like like your your rules about food might change each day, like you right. might say i'm gonna make a game of how long can I go without sleeping or how long can I go without eating today or I'm, can I only you know drink water to, I, I don't know or or um uh, with the relationship with your wife, you can wake up and say, how long can I go without speaking to her <laughs> before she gets angry and like, <laughs> that's we're going go, to go for a record.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's right for, to fully embrace play, you would always want to be coming up with new games. Uh, and it could, you could do it on, in your work. You know, how many words, uh, give myself an hour. How many words can I produce in that hour? And how many of them are usable? So So, so. so
0: now to take the AJ technique to the next step in this, I think the average author, the non-AJ author, will say, here's 100 games you can play to make your life better, uh, and kind of have this sort of, you know, right by the cashier sort of book that's in one of those on-demand books, and it's a little cute, and it's like a gift book. But an AJ, w- you, would actually do this for a year, gamify your life every day for a year, and then write about what happened. Right. And that's the AJ technique. And well, I will say, and you have, and each game kind of has to be a little uncomfortable.
1: That's true. Yeah, otherwise it's not a game because you right. have to like you know compete against someone else well, games or Games are uncomfortable
0: to lose. Right. There's always something at and, and they're hard stake. to play. <laughs> uh,
1: and I will say one thing is, you know, to, to take an idea and push it to the extreme. One thing I, I do try to keep in mind is that you know I'd say. Seventy percent of these experiments are failures, and they suck, and I I don't even write about them. So, what's, or some, what's something that you didn't write about? Well, one I wanted to do this was like ten years ago when social media was just starting. Was I was going to only interact with my wife and kids through social media? So I'd be in my room, you know, I could tweet at them or Facebook them or, or you know Skype, but I would not actually. Talk to them face to face, and my wife was like, "That is not going to happen at art."
0: <laughs> so that didn't. So that experiment that, didn't work.
1: That didn't. Work. I mean, I've wanted to do one uh, for a while, where it's like a life of drones. So how much can I use drones? Like, if my kid wants uh, a glass of milk, get a drone to bring it to him in the apartment, or or have a drone hovering over his homework, and I can like, you know. Help him with his homework from my own bedroom. But but, but
0: by the way, it's it, you know with all these ideas, and I think I think we're kind of getting to the we're we're cracking the the shell on the AJ technique. One thing I think that's a common theme is on the one hand, you take an umbrella approach. So take the Year of Living Biblically. Uh, you wrote a book. You wrote articles. You have a TV show coming, you've done, I'm sure you've done many talks about it and what you've learned, you've done podcasts about it. So that's what I mean by an umbrella approach. You take one idea and, and you figure out here are all the ways I can um, express this idea once I do, I do the work and then here's all the ways I can express the work. Right. So, so, you do, so although you're a writer first, you kind of take this umbrella approach that there's many ways, many outlets of, of expression. But one thing you don't seem to have is you don't seem to have a good, and I'm I'm saying this, I've told you this before. Uh you don't seem to have a good business sense about <laughs> what you do. Uh and I and I'll describe what I mean because it's based on a conversation we've had maybe a year yeah. and a half ago. I love that. Like, like this family thing, you could have uh, you know, you could have turned this into a whole business. You could have been an affiliate for all the DNA testing, you could have um uh, you know, charged for all the family reunions. There's or you could have had different types of sponsors that would have paid a lot more. Uh, you could have made T-shirts with everybody's family tree and how they're linked to you uh, and charged like a hundred bucks for that. I would have bought it. <laughs> or, or how everybody's linked. To- you could make a T-shirt for each person that's individualized, how they're related to all the presidents. You Aww. know, because there's only one president that's not related to right. everybody. Martin I, Van Buren. I mean. Martin Van Buren. I think that's it. I don't know why he's... Oh, because he's Dutch. Yeah, he's Dutch. Yeah. And... Um, So, so we were we were just brainstorming. We thought of like ten different ways for you to to make easy money, right? And because you could have outsourced everything and just taken fifty percent of their profits, and it's just not what you do. It's not. uh, I know.
1: I mean, I wish that I had half of your brain because you are so brilliant at business and coming up with these ideas. Well,
0: what you you could do is simply hire. For all of these other things that are outside how you normally make, so you want to keep making money how you normally make money. You don't want anybody to take any of that, but you can basically get yourself uh, interns or hire a business manager and say, look, anything that I'm not currently making money on is your domain and we just, you make all the deals and whatever comes into the kitty, we split it 50-50 and then it's just free money for you at the end of the idea.
1: Yeah. Which is, you do brilliantly. You have a hundred businesses like that,
0: right? Yeah, I I kind of, ownership is key, but then you want to make sure you own something, but then you outsource as much as possible of it, because I'm not good at all these things, and you outsource to the people who are good at it because they maximize what you can make, and you can actually make more money than if you were to do it uh, personally. Right. Well, it's interesting, I mean, I've thought over the years of doing
1: a a business book where I would dive in and try to be the best venture capitalist or whatever. Oh, for we a talked year. about that. Yeah, so I I think if I did that as a project, I would become much more savvy at uh, at finance, and that is partly why, as I said, I want to read Accounting for Dummies. I want to. This is a big gap in my knowledge. I'm not good at business like you are. So this could be a fun thing too.
0: I'm not necessarily good at it either. I just outsource a lot of it. I outsource my brain. That the, <laughs> the key, the key is, is, is to have a multi mind yeah. instead of a unimind.
1: I agree with that, and also delegation. You know, as that was the whole. Am I outsource life? I delegated everything, and it was the greatest month of my life because I could just watch movies and read books, and and these people were emailing my boss and emailing arguing with my wife for me it was fantastic so delegation is a beautiful thing
0: so aj this is this is episode one of where we the the, the basic idea i wanted to do a mini series with you and i and i still want to do it a mini series within the podcast where every few weeks we meet we challenge each other to something somewhat uncomfortable as we've been talking about we do it and we either succeed or fail we report back describe what happened and then challenge each other for the next episode. Now, on episode zero, uh, where we discussed the benefits of these challenges, we challenged each other to hugging uh, a complete stranger. We both had some experiences with it, but... Holding hands as well. Holding hands, yeah, for 60 it was, seconds. It was
1: all Yeah, it was like holding about, hands for
0: 60 seconds. So that's... About
1: human contact. Because yes. Because that lowers your stress level. So the idea was... Are there benefits to holding hands with with either friends or strangers?
0: So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna leave this episode with a cliffhanger. Let's continue that challenge into the next episode where we will talk about it, and because uh, I think we have both tried and had our own experiences with it. Um, <laughs> but let's let this has been a, a great episode because finally I feel I've cracked the code on the <laughs> AJ Jacobs technique, and so I'm gonna go off and write a book now about. Um, <laughs> Let me see. What should I write a book about? Maybe uh, a
1: hair. That seems yeah. I'll write a the book hair. about
0: hair. Well, well, no, but hair is not as global as gratitude.
1: I don't know. Everyone has hair. I have a friend who wrote a a post about why he has a three hundred dollar haircut every oh Derek. Derek. Halpert. yeah, and yeah, he says yeah, it's the know. most
0: popular of his posts. Wait, wait, no, I'm going to think of right now an AJ Jacob style word that I could uh, uh, dive deep down on. A lot of people
1: have suggested sex, but my wife is like, no.
0: And you've kind of done honesty.
1: I did do uh, some in, honesty.
0: You, you, In the My Life as an Experiment book, you did a chapter on it. On, on radical, radical honesty. honesty. Yeah, that was terrifying. But you know, honesty, oh, okay. Because I I love this, humor could be- That's a great idea. And I, But then I got to find something outlandish. But I've already started doing that with the subway. The subway is beautiful. And I just want to say also, and then we're going to end this podcast. So A, stay tuned for the cliffhanger because we'll be back in a couple weeks with our stories of uncomfortable contact with strangers. (laughs) And B, AJ and I are about to go to a subway and I'm trying out a format where it's almost like a late night talk show in a subway. And A.J., you're going to be my very I first guest, that. and we're going to I talk about uh, your your book. So that'll be on video. I am
1: dreading it. It's going to be so unpleasant, but I'm going, to, I'm going to love it.
0: Well, thanks very much for joining us once again on The James Altucher Show. A.J. Jacobs, author of the upcoming book, It's All Relative. When does the book come out? November 7th. So we have we're going to be on here many more times before then. And... When's your TV show? if the pilot is greenlit, when's well, it the is TV
1: greenlit. Show? It's officially they're doing thirteen episodes. So oh, that that's will be, congratulations! Thank you. Uh, yeah, that's in January or February. It's a, a winter
0: show. Man, I'm 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 kind of feeling now. now I, I I was sincere about being excited for you. Now I'm a little jealous. I want to I wanna write for your show somehow. Are you I,
1: kidding? They would be lucky to have can you. I,
0: how can I write a, or pitch one script idea for the show? They probably all have it all <laughs> scripted out, though. It's probably I am happy all to done. connect you, but uh, I think
1: you got a better job, to be honest. i will see. I'll, uh, I'm happy to. Yeah, I would Next love what James Yes. All right. Thanks, AJ. Thank you, James. Bye. Man, great episode. That was fun.
0: For more from James, check out the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network at jamesaltucher.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today. Hey, thanks for listening. Listen, I have a big favor to ask you and it will only take 30 seconds or less and it would mean a huge amount to me. If you like this podcast, please let me know. Please let the team I work with know. Please let my guests know. And you can do this easily by subscribing to the podcast probably the biggest favor you could do for me right now, and it's really simple. Just go to iTunes, search for The James Altucher Show, and click subscribe. Again, it will only take you 30 seconds or less, and if you subscribe now, it will really help me out a lot. Thanks again.